Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to turn there, or your mobile app, whatever app you use, Version or uh, Olive Tree or what have you. But we'll be at Hebrews chapter 9, and we'll be reading through a substantial portion of the chapter for the sermon, but for this scripture reading, we're going to look at just verses 11 and 12. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. I'll read it for us. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all, by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Amen. This is God's word. Um, a few years ago, I was introduced to a brand new travel experience while taking a trip to Haiti. I was with a friend who was also a pastor, and he happened to have a membership for an airport lounge. I was able to get in as one of his guests. And boy, talk about a whole new world. Free food, free drinks, chairs are bigger, much more comfortable, nice and spread out, with power outlets in every seat. The bathrooms, so much nicer. You could even take a shower in a private room if you wanted. This is pre-COVID, obviously, but... That actually kind of came in handy in our layovers as we were coming back from Haiti, all sweaty and hot, arrive in Miami, take a shower, change into clean clothes. It's kind of nice. Now, the only reason I was able to experience all this was because my friend had a membership, and I guess that's part of the draw for members, right? They pay to get that kind of exclusive access to these perks. I bet we can all probably think of other experiences that offer a similar kind of exclusive access to special privileges. Backstage passes for a concert where you can meet the performers, or black tie events for politicians or celebrity fundraisers with special photo ops are just a couple of examples that come to mind. But there are also some venues that offer exclusive access but for a completely different purpose. It's not to provide special perks for members only. It's actually to protect the masses from danger. An example of this would be a quarantine shelter where only patients or medical staff are allowed. And that maybe hits a little bit too close to home for some of our healthcare friends who've had to go into work, especially in the early days of the pandemic. We might also think of a lab or a storage chamber that's housing toxic chemicals. In those settings, only the scientists or only the workers are allowed in, and even they have to wear a hazmat suit and a mask in order to protect themselves. And in these types of situations, a sign will often be posted at the entrance that says something like, Danger, keep out. It's the second scenario that's really the main theme that I'd like to address in today's sermon, except that the danger isn't a virus, the danger isn't a toxic chemical, 
The danger, the threat, is God himself, if you can imagine that. We're in the midst of a short teaching series for this Advent season called Jesus, Our Mediator. And last Sunday, if you weren't with us, we considered how Jesus fulfills his role as our mediator through his ministry as the true prophet. This morning, we're going to reflect on his role as the true priest. We'll be looking at a bunch of verses as we explore this theme, but again, the passage we just read together from Hebrews 9 will serve as our home base, so I want to encourage us all to keep it open in front of you. We'll consider three themes together this morning as we explore this topic of Jesus as the true priest. We'll talk first about the real threat, the real threat. Secondly, we'll talk about the temporary access And then third and last, we'll talk about the permanent access. The real threat, the temporary access, and then last but not least, the permanent access. Let's start this morning with the real threat. Now, it may have seemed strange, maybe even offensive, to hear me describe God just a few minutes ago as a threat. I'm guessing many of us don't think of him in that way. But God's people in the Old Testament certainly did. Now, that wasn't the only way they viewed him, but it certainly was a way, and I would say it was an important way. Our passage this morning from the book of Hebrews hints at this. If we look at verse 11, we see Jesus described as a high priest. You see that there, if you have your passage open? Jesus is the high priest. Now, there's no way we can appreciate what that means unless... We're at least somewhat familiar with this passage's background. Our author is thinking of the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. Now, you might remember God had given his people very specific instructions for how they could approach him in those days. And the verses leading up to our passage provide a brief summary. If you have the passage in front of you, look with me a few verses earlier at verse 2. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 2, it says, A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. Let me make a couple comments here. First, the author mentions the tabernacle in verse 2. Some of us will probably recall that the tabernacle was actually a tent. It was a tent that the Israelites set up in their camp during their years in the wilderness. Now, many of us today, we probably associate tents with fun activities like fishing or camping, not worship. But this tent was hugely important because it represented the visible presence of God among his people. I put it differently, the tabernacle was really the center of the ancient Israelites' worship and religion. Secondly, these verses note that the tabernacle had at least two important rooms. The first outer room was called the holy place. We see that also in verse 2. But there was a second room that was marked off by a curtain. This inner room was called the most holy place. We see that in verse 3. Now let's keep reading. We'll pick up at verse 6. Hebrews 9, verse 6 says, When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, 
and at that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. Now the most important detail here is that the only certain people were allowed in these rooms, in the tabernacle. According to verse 6, only the priests were allowed to enter the most holy place. And verse 7 tells us that only the high priest was allowed to go into the most holy place. And even he could enter just once a year. This one day in the year when only the high priest could enter the most holy place was called the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur as it's called today. The book of Leviticus provides detailed instructions about what exactly the high priest was supposed to do when he entered this most holy place. But more importantly, it gives the reason why he had to follow these instructions so carefully. In Leviticus chapter 16, verse 2, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. Now that, my friends, was the threat Yes, God's people were allowed to approach him, but only on his terms. Otherwise, they would die. To put it another way, worship back in those days was serious business. Even the priests had to be extremely careful about how they carried out their duties because in a very real sense, God was a threat. He was the real threat. Now again, this view of God probably seems unthinkable today, but should that really be? Is the God we worship today really any different than the God of the Old Testament? As we think about that question, I could say at the very least that the way that you and I worship, even now, the way we worship reflects our view of God. If we don't see God's presence as a potential threat in even the remotest way, then my guess is we probably won't take worship all that seriously. Now that's just some food for careful thought. But some of us may be wondering, now why exactly would God be a threat to his own people? I mean, doesn't he love us and doesn't he want us to approach him? Well, indeed he does. And that takes us to our second theme this morning, the temporary access the temporary access you may have noticed that our chapter from hebrews mentions the word holy a few times holy place most holy place and that's not a coincidence the word holy itself conveys several important ideas in his best-selling book called the holiness of god rc sproul a theologian writes the clearest sensation that human beings have when they experience the holy is an overpowering and overwhelming sense of creatureliness. That is, when we are aware of the presence of God, we become most aware of ourselves as creatures. When we meet the absolute, we know immediately that we are not absolute. When we meet the infinite, we become acutely conscious that we are finite. When we meet the eternal, we know we are temporal. To meet God is a powerful study in contrasts. 
we put it in the simplest possible terms. Even the names of these rooms in the tabernacle, the holy place, the most holy place, those names are a caution. They're a warning that God is a real threat because he, well, he's awesome. To borrow a bit from R.C. Sproul's quote here, he is absolute. And you and I, we are not. God is infinite, whereas we are finite. And when we experience even a glimpse of God's awesome holiness, we become instantly, even painfully aware of our creatureliness. That's the word that he uses there, creatureliness. And you know, we see several examples of this in the Bible. It happened to Moses when he encountered God in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. It also happened to Joshua. It happened to prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and so on. These experiences all show that when a human being comes into contact with God's very presence in even the slightest way, they immediately become overwhelmed. Just overwhelmed. Now there's more to God's holiness than this. Our chapter this morning reminds us that two things were necessary if God's people wanted to approach him properly if they wanted to approach him without being consumed by his holiness. First, there needed to be a priest who could enter the holy place, or the most holy place in the tabernacle. We saw this in the verses we read earlier from Hebrews 9. If God's people wanted to approach him, they needed a priest to serve as their mediator. Secondly, they also needed a sacrifice. And this was especially true for the Day of Atonement. We see this in verse 7 says, but only the high priest entered the inner room and that only once a year and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. That phrase there, never without blood, is shorthand for the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. And we'll find instructions about these sacrifices in books like Exodus and Leviticus. These instructions about the sacrifices, they're super detailed. And in some cases, they're really long. And if I'm completely honest, they're a little bit, little bit tedious to read. But believe it or not, these animal sacrifices conveyed a really important lesson. The lesson is, sin is a serious matter. Our sin is a serious matter because God's holiness is a serious matter. A study Bible I own contains an article that summarizes this issue well. It says that just and holy God cannot ignore sin. However, God mercifully allowed for a substitute to take the place of a sinner. The blood of the sacrificial animal vividly illustrated this life-for-life substitution goes on and says, God request, required such a gruesome payment for sin because he did not want people to ignore the seriousness of sin. Anything less than blood and the giving of life would have devalued the forgiveness of sin. When a person heard the bleeding cries of an innocent lamb, saw its bright red blood spilled on the altar and smelled the smoke from its burning flesh, he or she was struck with a sobering thought. I deserve to die for my sin, 
that sheep died in my place. These sacrifices were a vivid reminder that God was a very real threat to his people because he was holy and his people were not. And that's still true today, by the way. God is still holy and, well, we are not. At least not on our own merit. And yet God was also willing to show grace by providing a way for sinners to approach him without losing their lives. But they needed two things. In order to enjoy this temporary access, they needed to bring animal sacrifices for their sins, and they needed a priest who could offer those sacrifices on their behalf. But this raises a serious question. What if the priests who are offering their sacrifices, what if the priests themselves are unclean? What could God's people do when the mediators who are supposed to stand between them and God are also tainted with sin? Well, that takes us to our third and final theme for this morning, what I want to call the permanent access. The permanent access. It seems God clearly knew that even though the priests in the Old Testament had the important responsibility of offering these sacrifices, these priests also needed forgiveness and cleansing themselves. We see this in verse 7. Verse 7 says, But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The priest really had to offer two sacrifices on the Day of Atonement, one for himself and then one for the people. You know, we find several instances in the Old Testament where the priests showed themselves to be unworthy of their office. We read, for example, the book of Malachi, where God is rebuking the priests because they were offering diseased and sick animals as sacrifices. But God also promised in Malachi that he would one day purify these priests so that they would bring offerings in righteousness. Our sister Irene read this passage for us earlier this morning. In other words, there would be a cleansing for these corrupt priests. Maybe a true priest would come someday that would offer these sacrifices in righteousness. As we keep reading the Old Testament and go into the New Testament, we learn that the sacrifices and the priests in the Old Testament are always meant to offer temporary access for God's people to approach Him because one day God was going to provide a true and permanent access. All of those sacrifices from the time of Moses to the time of Malachi, all those sacrifices pointed ultimately to the perfect sacrifice that would atone for sin in a way that none of these animal sacrifices could. And all of the priests who served day after day in the tabernacle and later in the temple, all those priests pointed to the true priest who would eventually come to offer this perfect sacrifice. And our passage this morning that we read together reveals that this true priest has indeed come And the perfect sacrifice has indeed been offered once and for all. If you look with me again at verse 11. Verse 11 of Hebrews 9 says, But when Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went 
through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it's not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. My friends, the true priest has come. And that priest is Jesus. And like every high priest before him, he was and he remains a truly human person. That's what we celebrate each Christmas, right? Jesus, the Son of God, became a true human being when he was born in that manger to Mary and Joseph. But unlike every other human priest before him, Jesus never needed to offer sacrifice for his own sin. Because he lived a perfect life. He lived a life that you and I are supposed to live, but we can't. And yet, he still offered a sacrifice. Not for his sins, but for the sins of every individual who would believe in him. And when Jesus offered this sacrifice, he didn't present a bull or a goat, or a calf like the high priest did each year on Yom Kippur. He offered himself. Verse 12 tells us he entered the true most holy place by his own blood. The second Sunday of the Advent season, we learn that Jesus, our mediator, is both the true priest and he's also the perfect sacrifice. And just in case any of us are wondering if what Jesus offered is enough to secure forgiveness for even our darkest, most terrible sins, please note that phrase, once for all, there in verse 12. He entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood. Those three precious words tell us that Jesus will never need to offer another sacrifice because your sin is too horrific. No, the sacrifice he offered, that's enough to secure forgiveness for even our most shocking and shameful sins. He is the true priest because he lived a perfect sinless life. And he offered the perfect and final sacrifice for the sins of all who will trust in him alone for salvation and forgiveness. But there's one other thing that Jesus does for us as our true priest. The passage that our brother David read for us earlier offers this comforting reminder. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23 says, But now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Unlike every other human priest before him, Jesus conquered death when he rose again on that first Easter morning. And what did we confess in our creed earlier today? He rose again, he ascended to heaven, and he seated at the right hand of the Father. And what is he doing now in the meantime? Well, according to the end of verse 25, he is interceding for his people. 
Our true priest is pleading on our behalf. Yes, yes, he sinned again. Yes, she failed again. But, but I live for them. Perfect obedience. And I died for them. Their sins were credited to me, and my perfect righteousness now belongs to them. My brothers and sisters, if you belong to Christ, if you've been united to Him through faith, then your priest is pleading for you even now. Right now. Jesus is our true priest who presented the perfect and final sacrifice for our sins. And he is the sacrifice himself. And he continues to serve us even now by interceding for us, by pleading for us. Now, what does this all mean for you and for me? Well, many things. God is still holy. And you and I still sin. You know that, and I know that. We sin every single day, don't we? Sometimes the same sins over and over again. But the good news for us is the threat is gone. The threat is now gone forever. Because Jesus, our mediator, has put a final end to the hostility between a holy God and sinful humanity. And for those who are in Christ through faith, there is now only peace and love and mercy and forgiveness today and every single day for the rest of our lives until we see him face to face. My friends, we have in Jesus the true priest who has given us permanent access to God. What happened when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me and breathed his last breath on the cross? The Gospels tell us the curtain in the temple that was guarding the most holy place, ripped open from top to bottom. And now you and I have access. Because the true priest has come. And he's offered the perfect sacrifice. Nothing less than himself. So what now? How should we respond to all that Jesus has done for us and all that he continues to do for us as our true priest? John Calvin, the great theologian, noted that one of the many gifts we receive from Jesus' ministry as our true priest is the privilege of serving as priests ourselves at his side. That's true, by the way. The book of Revelation contains this song of praise in the first chapter. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests, to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. You and I, we not only have the immense privilege of receiving the gift of this great high priest, his perfect life, his death in our behalf, the final sacrifice, we have the privilege of now being his companions in this great office. That's how John Calvin puts it. 
If you are a Christian, then you are one of Jesus' companions in his ministry as the true priest. And so in a very real sense, you and I, we can also offer sacrifices to God. Not animal sacrifices, of course. And certainly not any sacrifices for sin because that sacrifice that Jesus offered is all that's needed for that. We can still offer a different kind of sacrifice as a kingdom and priests. Our worship to God can be one of these sacrifices. We see this in the final chapter in the book of Hebrews. The author says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. What we do this morning and every Sunday together as the gathered church, this is a sacrifice that we can offer to our God as companions of our great priest. If our worship really reflects our view of God, then my brothers and sisters, let's give to God worship that shows that we believe that He is indeed awesome, that He is holy, that He's been so good to us. Amen? Let's offer to Him a sacrifice of praise through our worship. The very next verse describes another sacrifice we can offer as, shall I call ourselves, junior priests serving at Jesus' side. Hebrews 13, verse 16, And do not forget to do good and share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. All I can say to that is yes and amen. My brothers and sisters, May our worship to God, may our service to others be sacrifices that express our gratitude for all that Jesus has done for us and all that he is for us even now as our true priest. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we remember another verse in the New Testament that calls all of us to offer all of ourselves as a living sacrifice in view of your mercy. Jesus, we're so thankful for your mercy. Thank you for being our true priest. Thank you for living in perfect obedience to the law. We're grateful that you had no need to offer any sacrifice for yourself. And yet we're humbled as we're reminded that you are still willing to offer a sacrifice, the perfect, the final sacrifice for sinners like us. Would you please help us to find our rest, not in ourselves, not in our own righteousness, but in you, in all that you've done for us. We're so thankful that you continue to plead on our behalf, that you intercede for us when we fail. Jesus, we thank you for being our mediator. It's our joy to humbly respond by submitting ourselves willingly before you as living sacrifices. We pray all this in your mighty name. Amen.